Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Awesome song. Amen? Hey, it's good to see you all. We said Wednesday night, if you were here Wednesday, you were a new member. And if you didn't come Wednesday night, you got to get re-saved today. So we'll <laughs> uh, it feels like it's been that long. So I'm um, excited to be here. Uh, it's those times, I know there's people, you know, that are not where they need to be, that find excuses not to come worship. But if you were not here, and you're one of those that it's a central part of your life, worship, you felt like a fish out of water. You felt like you showed up at work with those nightmare dreams you have with no clothes on, right? That awkward feeling that you have. It felt awkward not to be at church. You know, the preacher sitting in a recliner on Sunday morning does not feel right. Amen? To the body, it feels good. And to the apathetic complacency part in all of us, it feels real good, but not when you are used to fellowshipping and spending time in God's Word together. So it's an exciting thing. And again, you don't like the weather in Tennessee, just wait a week. Amen? But go from what, uh, whatever below zero to 60 degrees in a week and a half. You just can't beat that. I don't know anywhere else on the planet that it gets like that. But Tennessee is unique in that sense. We were colder than my parents in the North Carolina mountains. So I don't know what to say. But I'm just thankful that spring is going to spring forth soon. I had a couple amens. The rest of y'all can have your winner. Right? I bet you're not a farmer, those of you who didn't say Amen. Anybody enjoy going out and breaking ice? Thank you. Anybody have broken pipes? I know the Underwoods, I'm not the Underwoods, did the, uh, some other friends of ours, they, they're, um, they own a business, but theirs burst in their home on the second floor. I guess their children had gone off to college and you forget about the, the nether regions of the home. So they uh, had a video of the water coming out into their kitchen. It was such a disaster. So... If you want something to be thankful for, thank the Lord you don't have that to deal with. God has been really good to us, very good to us. If the worst we had to deal with was not being able to go to work or school for a few days and not being able to worship on a Wednesday and a Sunday, I consider us tremendously blessed. So I pray you understand that. Feel that this morning. It's an honor to have us, the ability today to be together to worship. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28 Still encourage you to read through the Bible. It's not too late. We're just about done with January, but all you'd have to do is do two days or every other day. You could do an extra day, and then you'd catch up by March. So I have some more read through the Bible cards here. I challenge you to do it. The single most life-transforming thing you'll ever do. You might go, well, marrying the right person is super important. It's not as important as reading the Bible. Because if you're in God's Word, God can change that old reprobate you married. Amen or oh me. Right. And the rest of you are going, I don't want to say oh me, but I don't get in trouble. No. But it's important because God does through God's word what only God can do. And again, my parents, dad started in 1980, I think it was one. My mom started in 1983. They've read the Bible every year, all of those years. And I can assure you that my parents haven't stayed in perfect fellowship and communion, spiritually speaking, 
just by happenstance. My mom's a strong personality, and I can assure you she is an awesome person, but apart from God's ability to be really good, there's a whole lot of us that would be really tough to be married to. Ask my wife. I've cured her. You all have to hold it to her. She said if something ever happens to me, she has been cured. She will not get remarried. I have cured her. Amen. If nothing else, I did one good thing, right? But uh, I'm so thankful then that God is faithful. He is good. He's on the throne this morning. And we're going to look at verse chapters 28 today. We're really almost done with the book of Acts. Verses 1 through 6 we're going to look at this morning. And if um, you weren't here the last time, I'm going to recap quickly. We finished uh, chapter 27 with verses 27 through 44 in that study. That was subtitled Shipwrecked on his plan. And we looked at three things in that study. Number one was there are, there's no escape plans in God's plan. Doesn't matter what God wants to do with us. If you think that there's an, if you have a plan B, you are not yielded to the Lord. If you have a thing, well, God, if, I, if you leave me high and dry or whatever happens, then I'll just go do this. No, God's plan, there is no plan B. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to honor him. And I'm going to glorify him because there is no greater place and this is a true statement when I say this. I'm not just saying it. I would rather live in God's will in a tent. Now, a tent for me is hard because of my back. It's truly hard. Uh, if you have an air mattress in there, it gets more bearable. But for me to say that is a pretty serious statement because I would be literally willing to live in a tent in God's will than live at the Ritz-Carlton. I saw a picture of the one in Los Angeles yesterday, and that absolutely looks pretty nice. I would not want to live in that outside of God's will because I know that God, if I'm in his will, would give me a sweeter sleep in that tent than I've ever had in a bed. But there is no way possible I would ever find comfort outside of God's will in the greatest of accommodations on the planet Earth. I know that there's no amount of money. I watched a thing on the FBI files about these. Uh, there's been a few of them where they got over a million dollars. One of them was like 14 or 18 million in this big heist. There's no amount of money in the world that's ever going to give you the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. There is no person in the world that will ever give you the peace at walking with Christ in total faithful commitment, sold out, steadfast, God's supernatural provision, God's protection, the very fact of God leading you to the one that he wants you to marry. There are things that God does that you can't begin to imagine and all you have to do is watch someone that didn't do it God's way and watch the misery that they live in day in and day out. Because why? They got a bad picker. They got duped. They got uh, hoodwinked, as the old saying is. And they lived a mess, some people, for decades. As they led their lives, they directed their lives based on their feelings and what they thought versus the divine leadership of God. Because to live alone in a tent in the midst of God's will is a fulfillment that you will never have. Again, as opposed to being married to someone that was never God's will or plan, somewhere in pure luxury does not lead to the fulfillment and the happiness that God desires for us. The second thing we looked at in that study was only when we stay true to God's plan is there the promise of his protection and blessing, and that springboarded off of that. If you and I have gone somewhere because we didn't like what God wanted us to do, we went to plan B. I assure you, God's protection and God's blessing cannot be on you. That's the thing about it. It's not a thing of, well, I just, God, I just don't like that, but I'm going to serve you over here. 
There's no such thing as, as living in obedience outside of God's plan. God's protection and his blessing are special things that God gives us for being steadfast to his purpose are sometimes what God wants you to do way outside of your personal ability and the, the ability you think to handle. I know this from personal experience, but I know that God will give you what you need when you need it, and he will provide, he will protect you, he will bless you in ways you never could have imagined when you stay in the midst of where he wants you to be. And then the third and final thing we saw in that was every single day, God does the impossible in our lives. Do you see it for what it is? Meaning, when God provides supernaturally, do you go, oh, I thank my lucky stars, or oh, how lucky, how fortunate? Or do you automatically go, God, thank you. I realize that you did the impossible. Give God the credit for what God deserves the credit for doing. In my prayer, I say to him, God, I could not in a million years recount the blessings. How many times have I talked about water? Anybody remember? We were without water one time for 30 hours the other day, and then another time for almost, what, 12, 15, 20, whatever it was. It was a long time. And it once again reminded me of how thankful I am for water. You might not think about it, and I hope that this promotes an attitude of being thankful for those things that we take for granted. I was thankful to see the grass again, what's left of it, and I'm thankful for seeing the asphalt on the roads versus that white, icy, the clear stuff and the, the white stuff. It was beautiful when we saw it, but after a day, let's go, let's get Tennessee and get it out of here. Well, that didn't happen. But God gave me that ability to be thankful for, hey, running water, and thankful that I didn't <laughs> sidestep the way I should have put the water line in when we did, because there was very few people, or there was a number of people out our way that after the water came back on, they had burst pipes, because it had been off so long, and it was so cold. So I'm thankful for these things, and I pray that you do that and give God the thanks, as we saw in that last study. God was so good to Paul, even in the shipwreck. We're going to see that again this morning. But I just pray it leads to an attitude of thanksgiving, but an attitude more than anything of being yielded to what God's desire for your life is, no matter what he calls you to. I hope you found the scripture again in Acts chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And if you're able physically this morning, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Once ashore, they learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness, for they lit a fire, took us all in since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bun bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the local people saw that the creature was hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man is probably a murderer, and though he has escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would swell up or suddenly drop dead. But after they waited a long time and saw that nothing unusual happened to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Father, thank you this morning, Lord, for this privilege we have to be here on this beautiful Lord's Day. Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would be glorified in everything said and done. Hide me behind the cross, Lord, so that your spirit might speak to hearts, Father, all over the globe, that men, women, boys, and girls would hear the gospel truth and come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we commit all this to you, and we ask it in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So closely to verse uh, 1 through 4 again, listen. Once ashore, we learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness, for they lit a fire, took us all in, and since it was rainy and cold, as Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood, put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man is probably a murderer, and though he has escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. And it leads to the first thing I want to share with you this morning, and it is this. God will put us just where he wants us. Do you think it was an accident that that viper, by the way, you talk about snakes, I don't mind if they're where they want to be and they just do their little wiggling and doing it. I don't want to be surprised by them. I don't have a problem with a snake. I just don't want to lift up something and it be there. I don't want to grab a load of firewood and there be a rattlesnake in there or a copperhead. I'm out. You want to see this man move like you've never seen me move? You let that happen, right? I ain't got Michael Jackson's breakdancing had nothing on me. I'm going to do some dancing like you've never seen. I don't like snakes. But imagine as that snake, Viper, happens to be in the fire, and we know from the story that it was poisonous. It was not a harmless snake. They knew it. They knew what snakes were on the island. It didn't just swim in. It was something that was native to that island, and we know because of how they reacted to that. Do you think that snake was there and that it bit Paul in front of them all? By the way, hanging off his arm, you know? You imagine Paul shakes it off into the fire. That was divine providence. God had set the stage for every stage of Paul's missionary journey, but what Paul was experiencing is divine preparatory hand of God. What God was doing is going before him so that the people were able to see the power of God. Demonstrated through the life of Paul so that he was able to minister to them. At first, what do they think? Oh, he's a murderer. Huh. They believed a lot in, you know, uh, basically fate. You know, uh, what they call karma is what they kind of believed in back then. Oh, wow, he was a murderer. Look, he didn't get to die by the sea, but he's not escaped justice. He's going to get it for what he did. They found out real quickly that wasn't the case. But it's so powerful as you see this and understand as a Christian, nothing will happen to us. God doesn't just allow something to happen. He puts us exactly where he wants us. When we're in line and we keep talking about God's creative purpose, God's creative order, God knows what he's doing. God knows exactly what needs to be done right now for you who are praying for lost children, lost spouses, lost mom, dad, whoever it is. God knows what needs to happen to change their hearts. God's working in ways we cannot begin to understand. There's nothing called happenstance. For a lost person, yes, maybe so. But for as a follower of Christ, we don't have luck. We don't have happenstance. Oh, it just worked out. It just happened to work out that way. It's so amazing, and that's why, again, I liken it to a picture that's being painted. I liken it to a puzzle. The puzzle pieces have to be placed in a certain order. You can't put this puzzle piece in another because if you've ever done puzzles, you ever had them where they're close? Those, those literally are psychotic puzzles, if you ask me. Or the one where somebody at the puzzle factory is psychotic, and they took out one or two pieces. Amen? But have you ever had one where it was like, ooh, that looks like it fits, but you, you, you have already in your mind said 
it doesn't fit right now, but you want it to fit so bad because you know it's a puzzle piece that's been hard to find? No, it fits in one place. It doesn't fit in multiple places. That's the way God's plan is for us. God orchestrates each puzzle piece in the plan that he's working out in our life. The same way that this viper being in the fire was not just there because, oh, it just happened to be there and God just healed Paul. No, God used this. Use this to open the door so that they would see that, oh, this isn't just a prisoner. All of a sudden, this is a guy that should have died, but he hasn't died. They're trying to say he's a God. Paul's not going to let him do that because Paul loves the Lord and all glory goes unto the Lord. But in our lives, God will put us just where he wants us, but we have got to be willing to be moved. And that's my first question to you this morning. Are you willing to be moved? By the way, I go on record saying this. There's no one who disdains moving more than this man. I loathe it. I loathe the very thought of it. Last week, I'd have moved in two seconds to St. Croix. Amen? But this week, not so much. So I say that because if God wanted me to move right now, I'd do it because I know that there is nothing worse than being at odds with God outside of his plan, outside of his will. I'm thankful that God has placed me because my whole entire childhood was moving and moving and moving and moving and moving. And I disdain moving because of that. And just about the time you got to know people and you got to build relationships and friendships, it was moving. And I, I don't like doing that, but this is what I know. I'll be willing to do whatever God wants because, first of all, if I'm not willing to go where, what's the, old, the song we sing, where he leads me, I will follow, I can't sing that song and then go, oh, no, thanks, Lord, I'm good. I've had all the moving I can stand. Lord, uh, let somebody else do that. Let, let somebody younger. Do I believe God would be more gracious because of the size of our flock at the house? Yes, I do. But at the same time, my mind is completely open to doing whatever God wants because I realize that there is nothing that God can do with me if I'm not willing to go where he leads me. And I ask you the same question. Are you willing to go where God leads you? Because if not, you're not all in. If you're not willing to go where God leads you this morning, you might say you're yielded to God. You love him and everything else, Lord. I'll do anything but move or whatever. No, you're not all in. And my question to you is, if you aren't there, do you realize the importance of getting to the place here where you're willing to do and go wherever he desires you to go? Because that's a place we've got to be. If not, we are not all in. We are not completely yielded. We are not completely clay in his hands because what? He is the potter. We are the clay. God will put us where he wants us as we yield ourselves to his desire for our life the same way that Paul, all the way through, up before they've been on this, this journey right here, before he was ever in prison, there were disciples all over and people that were saying, hey, I've got, there's bad things coming your way. You're going to end up dying. Ultimately, he even said that, remember? Was Paul, they're trying to dissuade him. They're trying to stop him from continuing because they knew that if he went to Rome, he's going to die. Paul said, no, I'm willing to die. I want to die living out God's plan. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. 
I want to live God's plan, God's purpose for my life because that's what my call. Hey, all the way from the very moment on the road to Damascus that God saved him, he was all in. You don't even ever see a time in Paul's life through beatings, imprisonments, shipwrecks, you name it. As a matter of fact, at one point we heard him literally go through the number of things that had happened. And he was all in. Why? Because he had been crucified with Christ. He no longer lived, but Christ lived in him. And he understood that you cannot be a disciple if you're not willing to do what happens when God says, come follow me. You're not willing to get up and follow. You can sit on that beach for the rest of your life in a lawn chair with some lemonade and iced tea, shouting to everybody who comes by how you met Jesus and how life-transforming it was and how changed you are. No, you're not. You're religious. You were in love with the concept. You're not in love with being a follower because if you were a follower, you would have gotten up, left everything, and done what the disciples did and followed him. You leave everything. It doesn't matter. Lord, I'm all in. Are you all in this morning? And I ask you that. And then, listen to verse 5 again. It says, however, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Leads to the second thing that I want to share with you this morning. It's this. Nothing can happen to us that God does not allow. Nothing. You can put that in capital letters, just like I have on the screen there. Nothing can happen to us that God doesn't allow. You remember what happened to us a year, a little over a year and a month ago. Do you realize God allowed that? Well, then you want to say, well, how could you under, I mean, no, that just happened and no, God allowed it. Nothing can happen that God doesn't allow. Well, then, Brother Jonathan, I'd have a hard time of believing God's good. Well, I don't. Because it's just like songs, hymns that we sing, Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And just like the song that we sang just a little bit ago, one of the reasons I love that song so much was written by Horatio Spafford, who was a man that had just lost basically his entire family. As they went on earlier, they were shipwrecked and wrote that song just about the time that they passed over where his family had drowned when the ship went down. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. When you go through each stanza, it's one of the reasons I love that so much because it speaks the trials, the tribulations, the heartaches and heartbreaks of life that are inexpressible and incomprehensible. I know my God is faithful. And I know that my God does not allow anything to happen that's outside of his ability to take those tragedies and turn them into triumphs. That's what I know today. And I know that Romans 8, 28, when I characterize when trauma, when trouble, when trials come, I'll never forget and I always reiterate and say perpetually the Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good 
I've met the pre-qualifier to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. So I realize the, qualifi- the pre-qualifier has been met so I know that each and everything that God divinely ordains and allows is going to be used in ways that I cannot begin to express or imagine. I actually then springboard off of that Ephesians 3.20 unto what? Him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. So what I believe God could do, God says that's nothing in comparison to what I can and will do. That's why I have joy today in the midst of tragedy. Does it mean that I won't go? I still struggle. I still struggle with periods of being down over what happened last year. I still struggle. That's that's normal human emotions as you work through. It's really post-traumatic stress. It's just part of the process. Do I have, yeah, tough. Does that change anything about the goodness and the faithfulness of God? It changes nothing. God is still good. God is still faithful. And I still trust that God will do what he promises to do. The same way that last week I could have been angry at God. Lord, the last thing, we get all these kids up here, God. Come on. Can't you do any better than that, Lord? Of all the people that don't need to be out of water. I could sit there and be mad at God and argue with God, or I can trust God. You know what was great? We had snow. So they spent in the evenings melting snow, flush toilets. God gave us water, it was just in a different form. Amen. But if that's the biggest problem that I had, as a matter of fact, that'd be really lousy to believe that we're suffering some kind of intense trial of tribulation because you know what I know? I know right now there's people all over the globe that are Christians. You know why they're suffering? Because they love Jesus. And I know that in the time period that we had the lack of water, there were Christians that died simply because they loved Jesus. And how in the world could I ever in a moment believe what I was dealing with with this, ready, temporary inconvenience? could in any way, in any way, remotely compare to the horrors some followers of Christ all over this globe are suffering and have suffered through the ages. I remember vividly the story I read in the Fox's Book of Martyr. DC Talk has one, Jesus Freaks. It's really good if you ever get a chance to read it. I would encourage you to read it. But it was about, uh, in communist China, was in the 40s or the 50s, there were two girls, young, young girls, six, seven, eight years old at the, at the oldest, who were being ministered to by a pastor, and back then it was one of those things you don't do. Long story short, they got raided one Sunday, and they were all arrested, and they were going to die, unless they renounced their faith. And I remember these two little girls, as they had said to them, all you got to do is just say you don't love this Jesus, and you're going to be able to be set free with which they would not do. So they go out to be executed, and then it was a firing squad. And I will never, ever forget, as I read, I read it to y'all one day here, but as they went out there, their pastor was the one that had the gun that had to shoot them, and they had the ability to say something before they were killed. And they said, After you do this, we pray that you will not despair and remember 
that like Peter, there's forgiveness. And after he had killed them, they then shot him. And that's a true story. You hear what I just told you? My water could have been way out of perspective last week had I allowed it to. It's nothing. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever I'm dealing with right now, pales in comparison to what so many other people are suffering all over the globe. And it helps to step back and get a perspective, you know, a refocus on our perspectives because it's real easy for us in our nation especially because we have pretty much all of the conveniences you could ever imagine. We go to church and to work in a climate-controlled automobile, right? with usually some really good tires on it. We have air conditioning in the summer. If not, you can roll down the windows. We're just blessed. And not only do we have one car, and a lot of families, there's one, two plus cars, and we have air conditioning in the house. We have heat. We don't have to go to a well and get our water out of it. Not only that, we don't have to worry about somebody coming and raiding us and killing us because there's inner factions and civil wars going on in our nation just like there is in places all over Africa right now even in places in South America, a lot of things going on. We're not right now in Ukraine, and we're not dealing with the horrors that they're dealing with right there. That's really not a spiritual war, but there are spiritual wars going on within that. Easy for us to lose focus, though, when we get what, what Satan does is he does this. The moment a trial comes up or something we deal with, he does this, and it's the only thing that we can see at that moment. And I've learned this in my Short pilgrimage, right? But he does this. And the reason he does this is the only thing he wants us to see at that moment is the thing we're facing at that second. He wants us to think it's a, a, a live or die, life and death drama. And this is what I've learned. It's better to, ready? Let the Spirit of God and the power of God bring all of this in perspective, meaning back up and allow it to come to here because what happens when we do that? We're able to see it for what it really is. It's not nearly the life or death battle that we think it is, but when we make decisions when it comes here, how often do we respond appropriately? Never. We do it the wrong way. So when we do this and allow biblical perspective to be applied to it, what we find out is, hey, there's nothing that can happen to us that God doesn't allow. God has a reason for this right now. I had a, a tire flat this week. It was on Tuesday, uh, what day? Uh, on uh, Wednesday, I think. Yeah, Wednesday. And it takes a long time with my little thing in the car to blow a tire. I had a, I had a flat tire in forever. But thankfully for Christmas, they got me this little thing that has a battery on it and it blows up tires. Look at that, divine providence, right? So after work, you know, Tuesday night, seven o'clock, it's freezing cold. I'm standing out there listen to saying it took about 20 minutes to blow it up. Now, I could have stood there and got all foul and got all ticked off, but I sat there and said, and really in the grand sense, this is nothing. And tomorrow I can go and I can get it fixed. But I could have allowed that. There was nobody out there with me. I could have ruined my own testimony with myself and then been spiritually defeated, said things even in my own mind that I shouldn't have said, with an attitude of entitlement that I had no business having or done what I did. God, 
Nothing can happen that you don't allow. So then I got to thinking, you know what? The road we live on is real dangerous. Can't tell you the number of people who've died on that road. Countless. We found one one morning on the way to church. Man been out drinking all night, going to the store. There was alcohol literally for a quarter mile going through the field. We flipped and died. Tennyson, you know what? There could have been someone coming that other way that drifted over into my lane that I had no idea was going to be there. And God providentially, through a flat tire, protected me from being at that place at that time. You see what I'm going, where I'm going? Don't curse the very blessing that God potentially used to save your life. Because next time, he may not be so gracious. And you may experience something that you could never have in a wild, your wildest dreams that God never intended you to have to experience because you cursed the blessing that he had given you. That you didn't see for the blessing that it was, but saw that as an inconvenience to what you want to do in the fashion and the time frame that you want it done. So praise God, he is so good, he's so faithful, and nothing can happen to us that God does not allow. And then listen to verse 6 again. They expected that he would swell up suddenly or drop dead, but after they waited a long time, they saw nothing unusual happen to him. They changed their minds and said that he was a God. The third and final thing I want to share with you this morning is this. The effect of God's saving power is demonstrated through his healing power. Think about the beautiful parallel picture that you see in this. Have you ever heard me uh, talk about being the snake bit just a few months ago? Remember we're doing our typology? It might have been a Wednesday night or a, probably was a Wednesday night. Remember when they had to make the snake, lift it up? Anybody that was snake bit had to look, and if they didn't look, they died. Remember that? Hopefully. Okay. Look at the picture right here. Paul, snake bit by the, basically the bite of sin, the power of Christ made it, him immune to the effects of it. Beautiful picture right here of the power of the covenantal promise of God being able to protect us. Height nor depth, angels, principalities, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Was that Romans 8, uh, 39, I believe. What a beautiful picture right there of something that would have taken his life if not for the providential protection of God. And do you realize this very morning, salvation is the exact same thing for us today. The blood of Jesus Christ, the redemptive work, that cross, oh, the cross is missing, we gotta go. Somebody done stole it. I've gotta get the cross back there from where we had the baptism. But the cross, a lot of people say, man, that represents death. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what thinking you have. The cross represents the absolute polar opposite thing. It represents life. That is what we look at remembering what Jesus Christ did to give us victory over death. We are living in the life-giving promise under the new covenant as new covenant followers of Jesus Christ we have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And that power over death 
is not from us. It's not because we did good enough after we got saved. No, it is still by grace and through faith, not of works. So that's the beautiful thing this morning. As a follower of Jesus Christ, one day when we stand in God's presence, we will not stand there and the wrath of God be withheld from us because when we got saved, we started doing good. How many times? You know, I've been trying to do good. I try to help people. Well, that's wonderful. What is it? The works that he prepared for us in advance. Don't say, well, I've been doing good. No, the power of God has been being lived out in my life because this is God's plan for me, and I'm so thankful that he is working in and through me to accomplish his purpose and his will in my life. It is not anything that I do. It is his work, his will, and his plan. I can take credit for nothing other than the messes that we make in our lives. Amen? That's what happens when we try to take the bull by the horns and try to do what we think should be done as opposed to yielding to God's purpose and plan. But that's so beautiful because his saving power, it's demonstrated right here in this. God's saving power gives us life when there should have been death. Paul should have died, but the power of God gave him victory over the snake bit, the sin, the representation of sin. But also look what it's doing for those people. Those people are being able to see, wait a minute, this is weird, man. This must be a God. Of course, what does it do? It opens up the privilege of Paul being able to minister to these people over the subsequent period of time that God gives him the ability to do. And again, had this not been part of God's plan, it would have never happened. This morning, the saving power of God, this morning is demonstrated in the healing power of salvation. It's not about religion. It's not because, well, my parents were Christians and my grandparents were Christians and I, I just like that because that's what they did. They go to church and, and I go to church because that's what you're supposed to do. I hope you don't say that and if you do, we need to talk. I say that because religion is death. Being, religion will, being religious will send you to hell faster than anything else on the planet can or will. I hope you'd say, no way, I don't, I don't like religion. That's what I say all the time. People ask me, for whatever reason, everybody say, well, uh, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, uh, well, what are you? I'm a Christian? Well, I mean, uh, what kind of church do you go to? Well, I go to a fellowship of believers. Well, I mean, what kind is it? Everybody gets so focused on what it is. I said, well, we, we adhere to a Baptist doctrine. I said, we're just Christians. That's what matters. We are followers of Jesus Christ washed in the blood. That's what we are. And I said, if you're looking to, uh, for a label to assign to me, all I ask you to do is don't call me. A, call me a follower of Jesus Christ because that's what I am. And that's what I hope you understand. You might go, Brother Jonathan, you've been trying to deprogram people for 16 years now. Yes, I have because religion is so dangerous. It is deadly because sometimes we get more focused on what denomination we are, not realizing that the very word denomination is least common denominator, which means division. And what does scripture say? In him we are one. We are one. We are one. The most segregated hour of the week is when? 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Whoa, it should not be that way. 
There's only one heaven, red and yellow, black and white. Doesn't matter what you think about it. We are going to be in his presence, and if you have a problem with that, I assure you, you better deal with it because it's not an issue of you being able to throw out who you don't want. It might be an issue of you not being there because you think that someone else doesn't deserve to be there. God is the creator of what life? How many saviors are there? Jesus wasn't white, church. <laughs> no matter what little thing we saw when we were children, Jesus wasn't white. He's Jewish. You know what that means? The color would have been a whole lot darker than you think it would have been. But see, color doesn't matter. What I'm talking about is e pluribus unum. Out of many, it's got it on our money, right? Out of many, one. We are focused not on the division. I'm talking about this morning, church. We are in Christ made one. And that's the beauty of what God's word, God's plan. Can you imagine Paul? If Paul had adhered to a Jewish doctrine instead of under the new covenant, what did the new covenant tell him? Hey, you're all one. Gentiles, it doesn't matter, man. God opened the door to the Gentiles because his Jewish people rejected Jesus. We are one. We have been made one. And I'm excited about that. I, I, I think that's awesome. You know what I wish? I wish we could have people from every people group around the world in worship in here on Sunday mornings. I'm really serious. Why do I say that? Because imagine what it would show the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. Jesus loves little children of the world. It would show that we are e pluribus unum. That's what my heart's been. Y'all know that. I got friends from literally just about every nationality. And I'm thankful, though, that we don't talk about what can, you know, culturally you see all this division and division. I don't care about division. I care about being united. United in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because that is where God gave me life. And I hope you. And this morning, I ask you these three things again. God will put us just where he wants. Is God able to move you this morning where he wants you? That's the question you have to answer to yourself. And number two, nothing can happen to us that God doesn't allow. Are you, this morning, might be in the process of God changing your understanding of going, God, I've been cursing those things. I get mad when this happens. And Father, I didn't realize it until this morning when Brother Jonathan was talking about a flat tire and how God can use that for his glory. God can change your hearts, your struggles. If that's a struggle with you, God, change me. Allow me to see everything, everything that you allow in my life is an avenue with which you are changing and conforming and transforming me into your likeness. And then the third and final thing, again, the effect of God's saving power is demonstrated through his healing power. How many things in your life that God has allowed to happen that you have used as an avenue with which to give God glory and honor? Remember, God used all of those surgeries, all of those years, teaching me what he wanted to teach, preparing me for such a time as this. Was it fun? Did it give me the warm and fuzzy feeling spending four years at home in bed? No. It wasn't exciting. You don't look forward to that at 29 years old going, oh, how exciting. It's like getting us an extended snow day for four years. No. It was a tough, tough, tough thing. But I knew that God was faithful. I knew that God had a reason for it. 
And I had no promise that I would ever get out of that bed. As a matter of fact, I had promises to the other effect that I wouldn't get out of it. But I remember saying, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter. I'm not serving you, and I didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ so that you would heal me. I am yours. You are mine. Father, use me. Take me. Make me. After your will, God, do what you want to do in my life. Is that your heart tonight, this morning? Is that your heart tonight? Is that your heart tomorrow? Is that your heart yesterday? And if not, I ask you, do you want your will? Do you want your desire? Lord, I'll serve you as long as it fits in this little thing of what I want for my life. We're going through experiencing God right now with Blackaby in our Sunday school class. And really the whole thing, even this morning, reiterated, we have these things that we think, what happens when God says, no, this is what I want you to do? Our response to that shows a whole lot about who we really are and what we profess with our mouth. When God jumps in the middle of your plans, especially if you're one of those people that likes everything this way and when things don't go that way, you just come unglued, unwound, unfurled. I ask you, what do you do when God says, no, I don't want you, I want you to do this? Do you keep going on with what you want, pretend like you never said it? Do you say, you know what, God? I am an organized person that wants everything the way I think it should be, but I'm going your way. No, that's the only way to, to feel the peace and the, the experience of knowing and the fullness and obedience. Or this morning, you just buck up like a three-year-old child and said, no, I ain't doing it. I'm going to do what I believe should be done. Whether you say that in spoken word, it doesn't matter just because you didn't say it. All you have to do is think it and do what you want to do, and you've done that. Look at Paul. Look at that example. Look at the demonstration of brothers and sisters we have in here who've gone through very difficult experiences. But God's used them. Same way with my parents losing my sister Martha in the jungle as missionaries all those years ago, not realizing had Martha not died, I'd never have been born and my brother Tim hadn't been born because my mom and dad were going to have a son and a daughter. And when Martha died, they wanted to have another one. It was my brother Tim, still wanted a little girl. So they tried one more time and they ended up with me. Then they adopted my two sisters that we uh, have, my two sisters, Rachel and Rebecca. See, God knew. Tell them that the moment my dad picked up Martha dead. It's real easy to say, but guess what? God was faithful, and God will do what he promises to do. But is he Lord this morning, or is he just the God that you speak, but he has no lordship over your life? I challenge you today, if he doesn't, to let God have true lordship over your life. It will change your life. How does that start? It starts by not only recognizing it and professing it with your mouth, but also being in God's word every day and allowing God to lead you, to guide you, and direct you. Are you going to let him? Or are you going to continue to be the Lord of your life? There will never be the blessings of God, and you'll never live in the peace of God, but today it can, it can change. It happens where this thought goes to the heart, and that heart then changes the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here this morning, Lord, and God, most of all, the privilege of your word. Thank you for what you teach us, what you show us about ourselves, and God, the plans that you have for us. Thank you for what you're doing in so many lives, so many families just in this body of Christ. God, you are ever faithful, Lord, and I pray this morning, Lord, for whatever it is that you want to do. I pray would not only be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, but we will be doers also. Lord, I pray that during this invitation, Father, lives that need to be transformed, areas of lives that need to be committed to you or recommitted. Father, situations that have seemed 
completely unhealable, Lord, or, or beyond help. Father, I pray those would be laid down at your feet today where you can show yourself powerful, the holy God of all creation. Lord, today, if there's one here watching online that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day that they not only realize they're a sinner, but most importantly, Lord, that that goes from a thought and it transforms from going that 12-inch gap between the, the head and the heart and that it would change their lives as they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repent of their sin, and ask you to be the Savior and the Lord of their life. God, may you be glorified in everything said and done this morning. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.